Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, it has been a hot minute since I've uh, gotten the chance to sit down with everyone, and I miss this. I missed, you know, getting together, chewing the fat, pun intended. Um, but the break was good. It was good to regroup and to reorganize and to really like coalesce what we wanted to be doing here. And this season, we've just got all these amazing, fun, fantastic things planned. Um, Thank you so much to all of our loyal listeners. And if you're new, welcome. My name is Nicole, and this is Blunder Kitchen. So, um... Right off the top, just going to go over some housekeeping things. Please follow us on our Instagram to keep up to date with all of our cute little memes, I guess. Actually, I haven't been that great at posting memes. I'll be honest, running social media is kind of difficult for me. Um, But you will find great illustrations of each episode, so there's that. And, of course, on BlenderKitchen.com, that's your home for all of our research, all of our recipes, um, you know, all of our projects. Everything is there. Coalesce into one beautiful, easy place to find. Um, If you want to be um, a friend of this podcast, this family and you want others to also join into that camaraderie please 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 like us rate us review us on your favorite podcatcher honestly or just tell a friend you know sharing the podcast gets more people to enjoy the podcast which brings bigger opportunities and different shows that we can bring for you Uh, we are working on some merch some stickers still working out the kinks on that but hopefully soon I'll be able to drop some sweet merch um that's about it for uh for uh announcements let's dive right in I thought um a lot about what to make this first episode of season two about And I thought, like, it's kind of like a new year for us, sort of. Why not start with something super refreshing and cleansing, like a salad, like vegetarianism, which is what we'll be discussing today. So, what is a vegetarian? A vegetarian um, is someone who practices not eating meat or fish, especially for moral, religious, or health reasons. The word vegetarian was invented when the Vegetarian Society was founded, and it's a combination of the word vegetable and agrarian. Likewise, vegan, which was invented in 1944 by Donald Watson, is the beginning and the end of vegetarianism. There are a couple of different types of vegetarians out there. You have your ovolactos. They eat uh, 
dairy and eggs, but no meat and fish. You have your lactarians. They eat dairy, but no eggs, meat, or fish. Your pescatarians eat dairy, eggs, no meat, but they do eat fish. And your vegans have no dairy, no eggs, no meat, no fish. And throughout my research, I kept seeing eggs referred to as a dairy product. Just a reminder, eggs are a poultry product. So they're not dairy. It's weird that we call them dairy, understandable, because I think we just think of dairy as breakfast type foods, but they are definitely from chickens, which are poultry. So the idea of vegetarianism has been around, honestly, again, as so many of our fantastic subjects on this podcast are from the beginning of time. Um, the earliest record of vegetarianism as a concept or a practice can be found in ancient India, especially among uh, those who practice Hinduism and Jainism. Now, uh, I tried to think of a great way of explaining Hinduism and Jainism, but honestly, it's a big topic that we're just not prepared to talk about here. So... If you want to learn more about Hinduism, visit Classical Hinduism with Parth Chakraborty. I'm really sorry. I tried my best with the pronunciations. Um, it's a great podcast that introduces you to, you know, the foundations of the religion. Likewise, for Jainism, there's a great podcast, Jainism for Everyone with Tamir Chitta. Um, as a side note, if anyone has a great pronunciation dictionary, please DM us on Instagram because your girl is trying real hard and would love all the help that she can get. I digress. So um, from what we can tell, the earliest humans were mostly vegetarian, um, simply because it's a lot easier to gather plants than it is to actively hunt meat. Um, that's not to say that they were entirely vegetarian, but their diet was definitely heavily plant-based. Um, the modern human diet is still closer to um, herbivore than carnivore. Uh, you know, there's many things that we need from vegetables that we can't get by uh, solely imbibing a meat-based diet because our guts weren't made to process nutrients solely from a meat-based diet. It's very detrimental to us. Although there are those out there who do subscribe to a solely meat diet. Um, maybe we'll touch on that here. I think that would be interesting to get into. Anyway, so um, the principle of nonviolence to animals was established as early as the 16th century. Let me try again. The 6th century, um, and that was found in Jainism. Vegetarianism was encouraged uh, during the Vedic period um, in India, which is roughly between 1500 and 500 BC. Uh, under the, the uh, concept that all creatures manifest the same life force and therefore merit equal care and compassion, which honestly, I can dig. That makes sense to me. Um, ancient Egyptians ate mostly cultured wheat and barley rather than meat and fish. Uh, this is for several reasons. Um, practically uh, speaking, 
wheat and barley were a lot cheaper to come by than meat and fish, but also because of religious reasons. Um, cows, rams, pigs, and geese were all um, sacred in, in ancient Egypt. Uh, hopping on over to ancient Greece, we find that there were small groups within ancient Greek civilizations um, in what is today's southern Italy, uh, as well as the island of Greece, that adopted dietary habits that are similar to what we would call vegetarianism. Um, at that time, it was called abstinence from beings with a soul. If anyone can find the exact ancient Greek word for that, I would love to. Um, I looked and I looked and I looked and I just kept getting references to groups of people that practiced um, this this vegetarian type diet, but I know that there's definitely a single word for it. Um, uh, this this diet, this abstinence from beings of the soul, um, was really mostly based in religion and philosophy more than uh, morality or health. Uh, the Orphics were a religious movement that spread through Greece um, around the 6th century BC, so about the same time as uh, the Jains in India were practicing vegetarianism. And the Orphics were a huge proponent of the vegetarian diet in Grecian culture. Likewise, Pythagoras, Pythagoras uh, promoted a vegetarian diet or prohibited eating certain kinds of meat. Um, this is referred throughout history as the Pythagorean way of life. Um, Pythagoras himself was vegan. Um, he did not eat any animal foods, did not associate with hunters or people that cooked or ate meat. Um, he also believed that we shouldn't eat beans because humans and beans are made of the same material. Um, I would love to dig more into that. So if anyone has a source that about that, hit us up on Instagram. Um, but like logically speaking, that makes sense. You don't eat meat. You don't want to participate in cannibalism. And if you think that beans and humans are made from the same thing, then it makes sense that you wouldn't eat beans. Just thought that was a fun fact. Um, vegetarianism was also mentioned in Homer's Odyssey, which just goes to show how prolific um, the diet was at the time. Almost all of the Stoics were anti-vegetarian except for Seneca. Their argument was because animals don't have any reason uh, or what we would call cognitive ability, there's no... Uh, ethical obligation um, or restraint needed uh, to be had in eating them because they're, they're, that's what they were placed on the earth for. Um, on the opposite side of that coin, almost all of the cynics were vegetarian, but this is mostly for economic reasons, not for moral or religious reasons, uh, because the cynics believed that it was important to be as frugal as possible and vegetables are always going to be, uh, overall speaking, cheaper than meat to come by. Um, 
Cynics and Stoics, for those listeners who are not aware, are two groups of philosophers um, that presided during ancient uh, Greco-Roman times. Um, if we head on over to ancient Africa for a moment, we can also find um, histories of vegetarians. Now, unfortunately, it is a little bit more difficult, as we've discussed in the past, to get historical records from the entire continent of Africa due to, you know, colonialism and colonization. But um, we do know that in North Africa, what's today Libya, uh, there was a group of people referred to as the Lotophagi, which translates to lotus eaters that lived mostly off of the fruits of the lotus plants. Um, and one of the sources for this tidbit of information comes from um, Greco-Roman records. Uh, in addition, still in ancient Africa, keep in mind, several Ethiopian tribes were vegetarian. And uh, today, I would say that Ethiopia has a really rich vegetarian cuisine. And actually, that's where our recipe for this week is coming from, which honestly, it just like makes my mouth water thinking about it. It's so good. So, following the spread of Christianity through the ancient Roman Empire, also known as the Holy Roman Empire, vegetarian base, vegetarianism, my bad, basically disappeared in Europe. Uh, there were some orders of monks that banned the eating of meat for ascetic reasons um, because they liked to practice severe self-discipline and refrained from all forms of indulgence. Um, but they did still allow themselves to eat fish. And generally, this is one of the only groups during that time of uh, the Holy Roman Empire that continued to practice vegetarianism. Um, Asia, both ancient Asia and modern Asia, has a huge influence in vegetarianism. Um, we're going to start in 675 Japan and just run through them for a little bit. Um, so in 675, Emperor Tenmu banned the use of livestock and the consumption of horses, cattle, monk cattle, monkeys, and birds um, because of the influence of Buddhism. In um, Japan during the Nara period, Emperor Saimu approved the eating of seafood. Between the Nara period and the Meiji Restoration, the Japanese people were mostly vegetarian. Um, fish was only eaten during special celebrations. Now, when you reach the Meiji Restoration, Emperor Meiji lifted the ban on red meat consumption to encourage Western trade. Because at that time, the West was very much about, you know, you have to have the perfect amount of meat in your diet, otherwise you'll be weak, which is... It's a lot of psychological things that we could get into there, but this is a food and history podcast, so we'll continue on. Um, this lift 
Emperor Meiji's lift on the ban of red meat was met with a lot of resistance from the Japanese people. There were actually 10 monks that stormed the imperial palace as a protest. Um, they asserted that eating meat was destroying the souls of the Japanese people. Um, several monks were killed and the remainder were arrested. But it just goes to show how deeply ingrained at this time vegetarianism and uh, veg vegetarian-based diets uh, were in the Japanese culture and how important it was. Um, this is not the only place that that we see influence for today's vegetarianism coming from. Um, a large part of Chinese culture is based on a vegetarian diet. In fact, um, many of our favored um, vegetarian meat substitutes um, originated in Chinese culture. You have tofu, uh, saichan, which, sorry guys, it's that time of year where everyone's riding their bikes right before the winter needs to settle in. Anyway, um, so tofu, saitan, which makes a great um, sausage replacement. Um, tofu skin, I've never seen this prepared, so if anyone has any kinds of um, insight into exactly what how you would prepare tofu skin, I would love to hear it. Um, a lot of seaweed-based alternative meats and uh, root vegetable starches, which honestly, when it comes to imitation meats, starch is so important to texture. It's so important. It Without starch and gluten, it can kind of not taste like meat. Um, because it won't feel like meat. You won't get like like springiness, that chewiness that you get from like a good steak. As you can tell, I am not vegetarian, but I do believe it has a lot of health benefits, which we will be getting into. So during the Renaissance in the West, there became, there arose, there, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. Um, vegetarianism researched. Um, it was called the Pythagorean diet. Um, again, a term which resurfaced and was mostly a philosophical concept based on ethical motivations. And, and at that time, it was like the celebrity fed diet, you know, like, oh, so-and-so is on the water diet or so-and-so only eats two boiled eggs a day. It was like, oh, Leonardo da Vinci is a vegetarian. He doesn't partake of any steak. Um, Emmanuel Kant once said, uh, we can judge the heart of a man by his treatment of animals, um, which is a thought that we bring uh, with us in the modern age. Um, people's mistreatment of animals is part of uh, what psychologists use to determine uh, the level of psychopathy in serial killers. So there's that. Um, Benedictine monks, which um, had been keeping some sort of vegetarian diet this entire time, um, 
were allowed to now add poultry or fowl back into their diet, but still no meat. A lot of uh, people did not consider poultry or fowl to be a meat, so red meat. Um, however, if the animal was ill, then they could partake of that meat, which just seems not great from health purposes. It seems like a not uh, fun thing to do or smart thing to do both uh, and again this was back to aesthetic aesthetic purposes um vegetarianism didn't really have a place until the 1800s we do see some vegetarianism in in the u.s in the 1700s but very small groups Fun fact, Benjamin Franklin was vegetarian. He became vegetarian at 16, um, but later returned to an omnivorous diet uh, as he got older. He actually introduced tofu to America in the late 1700s. But the real history picks up in the 1800s. Vegetarianism became associated with cultural reform movements, such as temperance, uh, the temperance movement, a movement that I was unaware of uh, formally until I did this research called the anti-vivisection movement, which is a group of people who basically believed it was immoral and uh, blasphemous to be conducting autopsies, which is a one of the ways that we have a lot of our medical knowledge today. Um, and it was promoted as this natural way of life, you know, returning to our roots by being vegetarian. Um, Aseneth Nicholson wrote the first American vegetarian cookbook in 1835. And again, at this time, vegetarianism in the United States was heavily influenced by religion. For example, um, Reverend William Metcalf of the Bible Christian Church, Ellen G. White of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, also of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, were huge in promoting vegetarianism to both their congregants and the world at large. Um, Reverend Metcalf and Sylvester Graham, who did indeed invent graham crackers um founded the american vegetarian society in 1850 um now some american vegetarians were also associated with the natural hygiene movement which sounds like this great wonderful thing right and you may still think so but let me give you some more information the natural hygiene movement, uh, which has also been called orthopathy, orthopathy um, is an alternative medicine movement. Um, they believe that fasting, dieting, and clean living are all that are needed to prevent or treat disease. It's an offshoot of the naturopathy movement. Great episode. To talk more about this is Sawbones, our favorite medical mis medical mystery or history, both. Uh, 
Anyway, it's a great podcast. It gets really in detail into it in um, episode 29. Um, so we're not really going to go into too many details here. Um, the natural hygiene movement also opposed drugs, um, fluorine in the water, immunization, um, basically most medical treatments, and really pushed not only vegetarianism, but the raw food movement, which um, if you have never heard of that, it's exactly what it sounds like, mostly vegetables that are uncooked. Um, a, f- a even smaller subsection of the natural hygiene movement who were vegetarians were also part of the eugenics movement. Um, they said that vegetarianism was a way to quote unquote unpollute the earth. Um, Sawbones gets much uh, more into detail into the entire eugenics history in episode 198. So if you want to know more, head to there. So, you would think that since it seemed that vegetarianism was such on the fringes of U.S. society in the 1800s that it would kind of die away, no. In the 1900s, it bloomed, it blossomed. The International Vegetarian Union was founded in 1908. Um... Upton Sinclair unintentionally had a huge part in promoting vegetarianism when he wrote um, The Jungle, which exposed many of the unsanitary and frankly disgusting practices of the meatpacking industry at that time, uh, which really encouraged people to just stop eating meat because that's where your meat was coming from. And when you knew for a fact that there were human body parts and uh, just all sorts of nonsense in it, it really made you not want to eat it. Uh, The popularity of vegetarianism increased as a result um, of new awareness around nutrition and environmental concerns and economic concerns. In 1910, J.L. Butner wrote A Fleshless Diet, in which he stated meat was dangerous and unnecessary. Additionally, during this time, Mahatma Gandhi is doing a lot of um, nonviolence activism in India, and the concept of nonviolence is growing um, in the United States due to that influence. The Vegetarian and the Fruitarian was published in 1932. This book promoted the ethics, ideals, culture, health, and longevity surrounding vegetarianism. It quickly became tied, uh, vegetarianism that is, quickly became tied to feminism because it was seen as a way to free women from the kitchen and allow them to pursue other activities and interests because if you're not cooking meat, then your food preparation doesn't take as long. A political party was formed because America. Uh, This party is the American Vegetarian Party, and they presented a candidate for presidency in the 1948 election. His name was John Maxwell. He was a naturopath and a restaurateur, but it turns out he was ineligible because he was actually born in Great Britain. This did not deter the American Vegetarian Party. They presented a candidate 
for presidency in every election until 1964. Now, in England, we really see, uh, well, Europe, but mostly England, we really see the vegetarianism picking up around the 1900s, during the Age of Enlightenment. Vegetarian ideals were more welcome in England, um, especially in the north and, and middle regions because of urban urbanization and industrialization, um, hearkening back to Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, than anywhere else in Europe. Um, a great many books and essays and uh, seminars went on during this time, really encouraging people to become vegetarian. Um, in 1847, the first vegetarian society was established in England. At the time, it was 140 participants at a conference in Ramsgate. By 1853, there were 889 participants. Um, by the end of their first 100 years of existence, they had around 4,000 members. So really, uh, an idea that took root and, and grew and moved away from the fringes of society into mainstream society. And just like in the United States, in England as well, women were especially um, seen as proponents of vegetarianism. And again, it was because it was seen as a way of freeing women to, um, you know, pursue other things. There's also this thing of like, women were more likely to put on demonstrations to show the public just really how uh, one could be vegetarian in a a way that allowed you to manage your household finances well, whereas the men tended to just lecture about vegetarianism. So, a little bit more effective. So... What does vegetarianism look like today? Today, um, vegetarianism and religion still go hand in hand in many ways. Um, But not always. In fact, 0.5 to 4% of the world's population today is vegetarian. That's between 39,000. That's not correct. 39,500,000 39,500,000 people and 316 million people. Um, many uh, Hindu yogis are required to be vegetarian. Um, a small amount of Jewish scholars argue that the Torah provides a basis for a vegetarian diet, and Buddhism and Taoism require that monks and nuns eat egg free, onion free vegetarian uh, diet diets. Uh, Greek Orthodox Christians completely fast from animal products except for honey during certain religious periods, as do Ethiopian Orthodox uh, Christians. In India, 70%... Let me try again. 70% of the world's vegetarians are from India. 
and vegetarians make up 20 to 42 percent of the Indian population. In 2014, Palatana City in Gujarat, India, became the first city in the world to be legally vegetarian. This means that they outlawed the buying and selling of meat, fish, and eggs, and any jobs involved with working with animals. Um, in the U.S., it's still a very popular diet. Roughly 1% to 2.8% of adults eat no mish, mish, fetal fufu. Getting a little tongue-tied. Mish, <laughs> meat, fish, or poultry. In 2013, um, PS. 224 in Queens, New York, became the first public school in New York to adopt an all-vegetarian diet, and they were still able to get their meals to conform to USDA protein regulations. And if that's not the perfect highlight to say that you can be vegetarian and, and can be healthy and it can be this great impact on the environment, uh, I don't know what else says that. A 2018 survey of uh of british citizens said that 25 percent of dinners in the uk are meat and fish free now um what are my thoughts on vegetarianism i think it's great you know i think it's i think everything should be in balance and i do think that vegetarianism has a wonderful impact on the environment but I have worked up such an appetite and I would love to get into today's recipe, which is just chef's kiss amazing. Today's recipe is Monsieur Watt. It's an Ethiopian red lentil stew. And this recipe comes from daringgourmet.com. You'll need four tablespoons of nira kibbeh, which is an Ethiopian clarified butter, one large yellow onion, finely diced, three cloves of garlic, finely minced, one Roma tomato, very finely chopped, three tablespoons of tomato puree, two tablespoons of berbera, um, divided, one cup of red lentils rinsed, two and one half cups of aneto vegetable broth, and one teaspoon of salt. You'll melt the three you'll melt three tablespoons of mira kibbeh in a medium stock pot. Add the onions and cook over medium high heat for eight to ten minutes until the onions are golden brown. Add garlic, tomatoes, tomato paste, and one tablespoon of the berbera seasoning to that pot and cook five to seven minutes. Reduce the heat if necessary to prevent it from burning. Same pot, you're gonna add the broth, salt, bring this to a boil, cover, reduce to a simmer, and allow it to simmer for 40 minutes. Add more broth as needed. You don't want it to dry out. Um, either 40 minutes or until the lentils are soft. You know, whatever feels good. Finally, you're going to stir in the remaining nader kadeh and the berbera seasoning. You'll simmer for a few more moments just to really incorporate the last little bits of this. Add salt to taste and serve with Ethiopian injera, which is a delicious flatbread. 
Um, if you make this recipe and you've got pictures, please, we'd love to feature you on our Instagram. Thanks so much for taking the time to, you know, join in and listen and learn something new today. It was great hanging out with you guys and I can't wait to do it again um just a reminder our social media is blender kitchen on instagram all of our recipes and research are on blenderkitchen.com and um if you want more people to hear more fantastic facts about food like rate review subscribe or just tell a friend uh till next time see ya